Doug prayed in his prayer today about what we have on our hearts. I appreciate so much his thought that he put into uh, the reflections for that prayer and for leading us in that prayer. And one of the things he mentioned was that some of us may have on our hearts today financial burdens that we may have in our lives, things that are, are, are there as a reality in this world that we live in. I'd love to be able to tell you that the people of God should be able to just trust God and would not even have to, to deal with finances at all. But we know that finances are just a reality in this world, and in a fallen world, they are not always handled as they should be. Sometimes by ourselves, and sometimes by others, and sometimes we're a victim of that, and there's, there's some complexities that are there. A few weeks ago, we looked at the book of Proverbs. We did a survey of Proverbs based on looking at wisdom, since Proverbs is a voice of wisdom for us as the people of God. But we looked at it in terms of what wisdom can Proverbs offer us about relationships, about your friendships, about your marriage, about your relationships with your children, and everything else that we may run into in our relationships with each other. There's also another big topic that the Proverbs address a lot, and that is money. Money may be one of the, if you look through the book of Proverbs, there may be more Proverbs about money than about any other particular topic. I don't know that for sure, but there's a lot of them. We're not going to be able to reflect on all of them today, but some of them. I want us to spend a little bit of time just in this book, thinking through, reflecting on what God's wisdom says to us about finances, because it is a reality for us. Now, here's the general principles that I want to start with today. There's three Proverbs that I think are going to help get the ball rolling for us to reflect on. One was from our scripture reading, but I want to start with Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10, which is a good general principle here. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, this is not just directed toward what we might consider the wealthy. This is just for all of us, whatever wealth that may be in your hands, whether you consider yourself wealthy or middle class or or poor or whatever you may consider yourself, the wealth that you do have, honor the Lord with what you have. And from the first of all your produce. Now, I know that's written in an agricultural context where a lot of wealth was measured in what your land produced. There's probably not many of us in here today who are farmers, especially those who are, that's our main livelihood or the things that we are growing. But the principle is there. From all that you produce, whether you are offering the world something in your goods or in services or whatever else, whatever you are producing, Will you offer that to the Lord? Will you focus on that as your main purpose in your life? Now, if we just stop there, we may come away from this with the conclusion of, well, doesn't a verse like that teach what some would call the prosperity gospel? Prosperity gospel is the idea that basically if you do what God wants you to do, you will be rewarded with riches. And if you do not do what God wants you to do, you will be poor. And there's a direct correlation in that that it's that simple. If the righteous are wealthy and if you're not wealthy, then it's a sign that you're not doing what God wants you to do. Now, If we just looked at that verse, I could see how you might draw that conclusion. 
You might say, well, case closed, that's, that's what it says. However, the Proverbs are not that simple. There's more complexity there because life is more complex than that, is it not? There's more going on than that. We cannot just walk away with that conclusion. We need to be careful about that. It's, but we do keep in mind here that wealth can be a blessing from God, especially to those who are honoring him. Now let's look at a couple more principles here. One is this from our scripture reading. Let's really think through this about when we think about money in general, what the Proverbs is asking of us. This is a prayer that we have toward the end of Proverbs. And it's this. I'll read it again for us. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me the falsehood, falsehood and lying. It's interesting that that's first here. But then the one that's connected with it. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Or as some translations would say, give me my daily bread. Something that Jesus will repeat in the New Testament. And here's the reason for this. The reason of asking to, to not have the riches is this, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Let me uh, expound on that just a little bit. Many who are able to sustain themselves or who think they can sustain themselves through their work, through whatever they have received from others, through whatever means that they have attained wealth, they may get to the point where they think, I have done this. Who is the Lord that I need him anymore? Look at what I have attained. You see that type of pride, that type of arrogance play itself out with many characters in the scriptures, not just in terms of, of the wealth that they have accrued, but even some emperors and the power that they have accrued, the position that they have, the honor that they have in the eyes of the world. All of those can be things that can, can be sources of pride for us to where we get to the point where we don't think we need God anymore, to where we are just dependent on ourselves, dependent on what we are going to achieve. So the prayer here is one that I never be in a position <clears throat> where I think that my riches, that I have riches and I have, I have put them there and I no longer need God. But the other plea here is to not be in a position of poverty. As we're going to see here, poverty in and of itself is, is not a sign that you are wicked. We're going to explore that a little more as, as this is going on. But there is some honesty in this proverb as well. Lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Poverty also can put someone in a position to where they are more tempted to do things that otherwise they may not be tempted to do. And so this is, this is a prayer to say, I don't want to be someone who gets to the point where I no longer acknowledge that I need God for my daily bread. But I also don't want to be at the point where I don't have my daily bread and where I'm tempted to, to attain my daily bread through dishonest means, through unjust means. There is a lot of wisdom in this proverb right here from chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. I also want to encourage you before we move on from that, I think too many times when we see neither poverty nor riches, we think in terms of our society, what our society would consider the middle class of modern America. 
And maybe we may be tempted to say, okay, well, this is saying being in the middle class is the only right way to live. And that, that's where we all should be. That's not really the focus of this passage. First of all, what we would consider middle class in modern America, many in the world throughout history and probably in the time of the Proverbs would probably be borderlining on the riches, if not all the way in the camp of the riches. So we can't just think in terms of modern categories when we think through this. And it doesn't say that having wealth is wrong. It doesn't say that having nothing is wrong. Being in a position of poverty is wrong. It's just simply a prayer of trust in God that we may always be in a position where we have enough to sustain life, but we don't have too much to where we forget about God. That's the principle that we want to, to keep going forward through the rest of this discussion. Now, now here's another principle that we need to, to establish before we look at the rest of Proverbs. And that is this from chapter 22, verse 2. The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. As different as we may be, as different cultures that may build up among the wealthy class, among the poor class, among the middle class. The Lord is the maker of us all. This is what we have in common. Now, this is extremely important for many reasons. Number one, wealth is not a measure of value. The value of a person cannot be measured by what they, what how much money that they have or what they possess or what they're wearing. James chapter 2 in the New Testament specifically warns us against making value judgments based on what someone is wearing. It says if someone walks into your assembly and they have really nice clothes and you treat them with a lot more attention than the man who comes in and he's, his clothes are dirty, he, he's not dressed as nicely, and, and you make a distinction, you make a value judgment in how you treat that person. And that is wrong. That's unjust. That's not who we are. The Lord made both of those people. Now we, we can very much make assumptions about people who may have wealth and people who may be poor. And that's something we've got to be very careful about too. You don't know that person's story. You don't know how they arrived at a position of having money. You don't know how they arrived at a position of not having money. And you don't need to try to fill in the story for them. Everyone's story is different, and we're going to see a diversity of stories in the book of Proverbs for why we end up in positions that we end up. So we've got to be very careful about making assumptions as well. The value of that person or even assuming how they got to be where they were. Just because they may have some money does not mean that they are a, are a greedy, unjust person. Just because they don't have money does not mean that they are a lazy person. All right, there are a lot of different reasons here. So we need to be very careful about that. Even if we know that someone's poverty is largely a result of self-destructive practices in their own life. You know what this verse is telling me? That person is still made in the image of God. And that person is still a neighbor for me to love. Even if someone who is wealthy got to where they are through some unjust practices or some questionable practices. You know what this verse is telling me? It's telling me it doesn't mean I have to approve of all those practices. But it is telling me that that person is still made in the image of God. And that person is still a neighbor to be loved. The Lord is the maker of them all. And we have this in common. So we need to remember that. These three Proverbs that we've looked at so far, I hope that they're general principles that, that we can use as a lens to interpret the rest of the book of Proverbs. 
Can move quicker through the rest of these. So you may just want to jot them down and look at them more in the future. Maybe just jot down the verse reference so you can spend a little more time in reflecting on these later on because we're going to cover several of them. Let's talk first about poverty. Let's talk a little bit about it. I don't pretend to be an expert on how people wind up in a position of poverty. And I know that there are different levels of poverty. But the book of Proverbs does have a lot to say about this. And again, there's a diversity of reasons for why someone may end up in a position of poverty. Let's consider some of them. Sometimes poverty can be a result of poor work ethic. Okay, sometimes it, that is a major factor here. Proverbs is going to talk about that. Work ethic and, and diligence and a sustained planning of finances throughout one's life, that is a factor here. Let's look at some of these verses about that. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Chapter 10, verse 4. From chapter 14, verse 23. In all toil there is profit, The mere talk tends only to poverty. That kind of goes back to our hypocrisy lesson last week. Uh, There can be a lot of talk about work ethic, but we need to show it in our actions. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about work, how there is value in work, not just monetary value. There is value in what you are are doing to help others with, or even making a product, even if it's work that's not necessarily a service you are offering to someone else. Even if you are in the goods, if you work in a factory and you're producing something, that something is still going to have a positive impact on people. You're helping people. Work is not just for the monetary gain that you bring home. It is for the effect that you are having on people. It is one way that you can love your neighbor as yourself. In all toil, there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. From chapter 28, verse 19, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Now again, it's telling you the general principle. This is what generally happens. Proverbs, you can't just take one proverb and assume that it's telling you a, a, something that is going to be a guarantee in all situations. You can work your land and you can work it hard and you can, you can plant and you can have good seed and something may happen. There may be an insect infestation. There may be a drought that comes. Something that is completely out of your control that could happen. And life happens that way, doesn't it? There are some things that will happen that are completely out of your control that will come upon you and it's a financial storm that hits you all at once. And it's not just for farmers. We're talking about a lot of things. But the general principle here is that there will be a connection between hard work of your land and having something to show for it at the end of it. Chapter 13, verse 11, wealth gained hastily will dwindle. But whoever gathers little by little will increase it. There's also a lot in the book of Proverbs about being patient with your work. And this is so important when we're talking about finances, especially if you're already in a, in a position of debt or you're in a position that's a very difficult situation where you're looking for work or you're just starting a new job. There's a lot of patience that comes there. It's, you're not going to be able to fix financial issues overnight. It just doesn't happen that way. 
we've got to show some patience, some little by little. But usually those are going to be the ways that lead us out of poverty rather than the get-rich-quick schemes or whatever else that we may say that the world offers to us. And they prey upon us. You see it in the commercials and everything else of ways to be able to fix your financial problems overnight. It's usually not going to be that easy. There's going to have to be a little by little. We need to be remember that. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Chapter 21, verse 5. Another teaching that goes along the same lines. Poverty and poor work ethic can be correlated. That can be a factor. It's something that we need to look inside our hearts and ask ourselves today, how is my work ethic, whatever financial situation I see myself in? And not just talking about finances, but with anything in life. Do everything that your hand finds to do to the glory of God. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. We should take a a certain care, a certain concern about our work. Here's another factor, though. Poverty can also be a result of wasteful spending. You may be in a position where you have worked hard. You may be bringing in wages. You may have income, as we may say, but the what is flowing out is still greater than what you are bringing in. This is not just something for someone who is at a lower income level or at a middle income level or at a high income level. This can affect anyone who is in one of those positions. You ever hear about someone who's signing a multi-million million dollar contract? Maybe as a, uh, could be as, a, as an athlete, it could be as a CEO of a, of a company, and then you, you see just a few years later, they're filing for bankruptcy. Something has happened in between there. Something, again, I don't pretend to tell every one of their stories. I don't know everything. But some of those situations, sometimes you find out they had a gambling addiction. Sometimes you find out that there were other questionable practices that they have blown their money on. An example of this that we see in the New Testament, someone who receives wealth from someone else as an inheritance. We call him the prodigal son because he says to his father, I want my inheritance. I want to receive that. And it was probably a substantial amount. He goes away, he takes it, he goes off to a far country And the text tells us he spends it all on wasteful living. He had wealth and he blew it. Proverbs 21, 17. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. That's pretty straightforward. That doesn't mean that all pleasures are wrong. The Bible is not anti-pleasure. But it does warn you that if you fall in love with the pleasures of this world, they can rob you of everything that you have. And you can end up back in a very poor situation that you would not have been in otherwise. We need to be careful in our spending. You know, Dave Ramsey even has the idea, and I think it may be helpful for those of us who have spending addictions, uh, not only to make a budget, that's the first step, Make a budget to keep track of what you are spending and to get to a point where your income, what is coming in, is greater than the outcome, the outflow of what is going out. We all need to be disciplined in that, in whatever situation we're in. Dave Ramsey would even take it to the point of you may even need to work from a cash system of actually putting what is in each budget category in an envelope. If you have trouble with discipline in spending with what category you are spending in, that may be helpful to you. If you realize this is something you've got to do an honest reflection on, if you see yourself as a free spender, 
You know, it is one of the most addictive things known to man. We talk about addictions and substance abuse and a lot of other things. Spending money can very much be something that is addictive behavior, something that we need some help with some financial counsel with and to really pray through and and to work on some discipline in that area. The wage of the righteous leads to life. The gain of the wicked to sin. Chapter 10, verse 16. Not all pleasures are sinful, but some can be. Some can turn into something sinful that would not be otherwise if they become something that consume us, something that we are pouring everything into. Then they become an idol. They become an idol for how we are spending, what we are devoting ourselves to. So there is poverty that can be a result of wasteful spending. Now so far, these elements of poverty that we've talked about are things that are under one's control. They are discipline issues or maturity issues or long-term spending, long-term planning issues. But that is not, we cannot look at someone who is in a position of poverty and just say, well, that person is either lazy or that person is someone who, who is a wasteful spender. There are other factors here that we need to to remember. Everyone's situation is different. Sometimes all of these can be at work. But there's an element here that we need to talk about as well that the Proverbs address. And that is that injustice can play a role in poverty. And that can be something that is uh, systemic, maybe even on a a national level or the level of an entire economic system. Or it may be something in the the circles that someone is in, in their own friendships. As we're going to see, there's a variety of ways that we could say that injustice plays a role here. Things that are not necessarily in your control, but unjust behavior on behalf of others. Injustice is a broad category when we really talk about it that way. It's a broad idea. It's not just oppression, it may be. It's not just robbery, it may be. Obviously, if you get money taken from you on the streets today, that is injustice. You have lost that money due to injustice. There are places where you are, are going, to have your, uh, going to have money taken uh, as a result of oppression. And maybe you have experienced that in your life. There may be other forms of unfairness that come in in courts of law where the poor do not even get the benefit of the doubt in a court of law. That has happened in nations throughout our world's history and has in our own. But it also can mean any way that human relationships are not as they should be. That can be related to unjust behavior in this fallen world. And that plays a role. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food but it is swept away through injustice. Proverbs 13, 23, saying that, that it, the land that they may have access to, it could potentially, if the work ethic is there, it, it could potentially get them to a position where they're no longer in poverty. But we know that often people who are greedy, whether they are rich or not, the greedy will often prey on others. And this is talking about that type of injustice that can happen. Chapter 18, verse 23. The poor use entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. It's harder sometimes for the voice of the poor to be heard in different situations. We need to be careful about that. Chapter 19, verse 7, talking about friendships. Here's what this says. All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but does not have them. This is not telling you that's the way it should be. This is just a descriptive proverb of the way that things often are. Once you are in a position of poverty, it's harder for you to make friends and keep friends than those who may have wealth. Didn't the prodigal son experience that? He experienced something similar to that as well. It, it is, 
it's something that can happen. It's harder for to make and to keep good friendships because friends are often attracted to those who can benefit them. That's not the way it should be, but this is often how it is in our fallen world. There's often a selfish angle to that. Here's another one talking about us, about being careful about oppressing the poor. Proverbs 22, verse 16, whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. And saying that hopefully in the end that there is going to be and, and there will be in the, in the final day. If the injustices aren't leveled out within our lifespan or within the lifespan of, of our children or grandchildren, there's coming a day when what's called a day of judgment. It's when all inequities are, are even out, when everything is revealed the way it should be and, and justice is restored completely, including economic justice, if that's something that is going on. But this is telling you that there may even have some of that in your own life if you oppress the poor and you do so to increase your own wealth. That's being unjust. Chapter 22, verses 22 and 23. Do not rob the poor because he is poor. Uh, that's, that's a simple enough reason. That sounds like an answer Aurora would give me. I say, well, Aurora, are you sad? And why are you sad? Because I am. Well, do not rob the poor because he is poor. That should be self-explanatory enough to us. Or crush the afflicted at the gate. The gate may be a place where they are going to the leaders of a city, the elders of a city. They're looking for help. They're looking for counsel. They're looking, okay, where do I go from here? Don't rob them. Okay, don't, don't take advantage of them. For the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. Now that should be something that should sober all of us in how we think of the poor. We need to be careful about this. Poverty and injustice. Again, I said sometimes all of these factors can be at work in someone's story. Don't make assumptions that their story is entirely a result of injustice or entirely a result of poor work ethic or entirely a result of poor spending habits. It may be a combination or it may be one or the other. We need to talk through someone who's in a position of poverty. If you are today, talk with someone who cares and then can give you some wise counsel for how to move forward from this. And that leads us to the next section that we deal with in Proverbs. And that is that the book of Proverbs has a good bit to say about the idea of debt and about lending. And I'll go ahead and tell you, this is tough for us in a world that is built, our economic system is built a lot around, it's a debt system. But the Bible it warns a lot about debt, about being very careful about debt. Now, I realize this is a sensitive topic because I, most of us are in some level of debt. If you consider even if you consider student loans, if you consider mortgages on houses or cars or other things, most of us in here are probably in some position of debt. Some of us in here may be in heavy debt. And so I know this is a sensitive topic. Uh, but here's what Proverbs says about this. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Chapter 22, verse 7. Now again, that's not a prescriptive proverb, that's a descriptive proverb. It's not telling you the way it should be, it's telling you the way that it is. You get yourself into a position of debt, then you end up a slave. It's not telling you that it's okay for someone who is, who is, who is the creditor to be able to treat the lenders as slaves. But it is telling you throughout the history of mankind, this is often what happens. And it's, even, it's been a big factor of people leading to a real position of slavery in their lives. But there is some level of servitude that is there whenever we put ourselves in that position. Now we may say, well, 
I'm already in that position. It's too late. Well, what I would say to that is this. Proverbs may not address specifically, it may not give you a a step-by-step program, especially for our society today, of how to get yourself out of debt. But I think it does tell you to take a look at where you are. And if this has not been high on your financial priority list, debt reduction needs to be up there. I realize it's not something that, it's not necessarily, we tend to focus on our daily bread, and rightly so, taking things one day at a time. But there is also an element here that if we are in a position of real debt, God doesn't want us to be there. He he wants us to try to, to work our way to reducing that. I don't say that as if it's something that is easy, that there's a quick fix, and certainly not something that is overnight. But there are definitely some principles that are here. There's also something here about taking, getting ourselves into debt to begin with. There are some other teachings here. Chapter 22, verses 26 and 27. Do not be one of those, is what it should say. Do not be one of those who gives pledges, who puts up security for debts. Now what we're talking about there is collateral. We're talking about something that you, you put down as collateral. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken out from under you? Now, the wisdom of the system for Israel was that even if there were certain regulations on what you could and could not uh, give as a pledge, uh, give as a security or collateral. And the principle for at least among the Israelites, God's wisdom in that, because he knew people would be taking loans from each other, but he told them, there are certain things you cannot demand of someone else as the collateral, as the security for the loan that they are taking out. Now, on the other end, if you are someone who is taking out a loan, someone who is going to be in some position of debt, we need to think through, what are we putting up as collateral? We need to have a game plan. What is going to be my plan for how to pay back this money? And in worst case scenario, if what I'm putting up as as collateral, as security, if that is taken from me, try as hard as you can for it not to be something that your life is depend, your daily life is dependent on. That's the principle that is here in Proverbs. Here's some more about that. Chapter 17, verse 18. One who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. Chapter 11, verse 15. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm, but he who hates striking hands and pledge is secure. Now there's, you know, this is not saying that you ignore the needs of strangers. But it is saying that you be careful about the other people that you get yourselves involved with as far as putting up your own assets as collateral for them. There are better ways to help them in their situations, and we will get to that in just a moment. I know we're covering a lot of ground today because Proverbs has a lot to say about this. Three Three more sections I want to touch on before our lesson is over. And these last three sections, whereas I, I, Jesus, Jesus would endorse all of this that we're talking about so far. This is the Word of God, just as Jesus teaching through the Word of God. Uh, but these last three sections we're going to look at, I, in my opinion and in what I see, I see so much here that approaches the emphasis of Jesus on finances. The practical wisdom about poverty and, and wealth management and, and all of that, that's wonderful. We need that. But if we're going to take anything out of Proverbs as far as how we view money, 
And what matches the heart of Jesus as far as how we view money, it's going to be these last three principles. And one is this. Wealth, it's temporary. It's volatile. It's going to go up and down. It's, going, it's not going to last. And when you die, you're not going to have anything to take into the next stage to show from what you have, have done. So don't focus your entire life on it. It's a necessity to a degree. But don't let it be something that you worship. Don't let it be how you define yourself. Here's some of what Proverbs is going to say. Chapter 27, verses 23 and 24. Know well the condition of your flocks. Give attention to your herds. So you're, 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 you're watching over your assets. You know, you're, you're, you're taking care there. But notice what it says. For riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? I say wealth and power. Wealth and power, the crown that is there. They're, they're temporary. Chapter 23, verses 4 and 5. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Now, that's telling you there's got to be more to your work than that. Acquiring or accumulating. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven. And that can happen within this lifetime. Or it can happen once you're gone because you're no longer attached to that. You don't take any of that with you. You don't take the toys that you have into the next life. Jesus would say, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth, the insects that may destroy your crops, nor rust, which may get to your precious metals, where none of that destroys and thieves don't, don't break in and steal. That's what's going to last for eternity. That's what you will have to show. 11.28, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. That's why I'm hesitant to even use the word security when it comes to talking about finances. I know that if you're an economist, if you're a financial advisor, you're going to use that word, you're going to throw it around. If you're going to use that word, you better use it with the caveat of this is not where my ultimate trust is. This can fail. We will fall if that's where our trust is. And chapter 11, verse 4, riches do not profit in the day of wrath. <laughs> in the last day, what, what are you going to have to show for it? When God makes everything right and he settles everything out, it's not going to be those who have accrued more in the terms of worldly terms who are going to be rewarded more. Righteousness is what delivers from death. Here's another principle that we need to be careful to see. Wealth is a blessing, but it is not a measure of virtue. Now, that's really important. First, it's sometimes acquired through wicked means. The wicked earns deceptive wages. The one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Chapter 11, verse 18. That's why the prosperity gospel, one of the reasons it doesn't work, is because we know that just because someone is wealthy does not mean that they have gotten there through just means or through hard work. That's not a measure of their virtue. Chapter 21, verse 6, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Again, it's telling you that that's, that can happen. But also consider this. You may say, well, I'm not, I, I've actually worked hard. You know, it's not been by wicked means that I've, I've gotten there. Yeah, but look, look careful at some of these other Proverbs as well. A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding 
will find him out. Now, these last few that I'm going to point out here are telling you that, that wisdom itself and everything that goes with it is a much higher measure of success and of, of someone who has, has arrived at something in their life than the riches themselves. Now, even wisdom you can't trust in itself. But what we're saying here is that there are other measures. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who's crooked in his ways. 28 verse 6. Integrity. Better. Chapter 19 verse 1. Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Chapter 15 verses 15 and 16 and 17. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fat knocks and hatred with it. Doesn't matter what you're putting on the dinner table. Doesn't matter what school you can put your kids into. Doesn't matter what, what, where you get to go on vacation this year. If your life is not full of love and if it's not full of honesty, then none of that means anything. And the last one that we need to focus on there's a lot that is here in the Proverbs. I'm just going to put up a few of them here because I want you to see how often that this comes up in the book. If there's any theme that Proverbs wants you to walk away from of any of this, it's that whatever financial assets you have in your hands, whatever level you are at, God is calling upon you to be someone who is just, and who is generous. And this is throughout the teachings of Jesus as well. To be givers. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Proverbs 29, verse 7. We understand the needs of the poor. We should. We should want to. We should identify with them. Jesus did. So 2 Corinthians chapters 8 9 say, although he was rich, he became poor for our sakes. That is the story of God coming and caring enough about the situation of those who were poor, not only in finances, but in every other way, that he made it his concern to be involved with them and to make things right for them. That's what justice ultimately means. It's to try to take things from a position of not being in the right to being right. The righteous care about that. And they care about that specifically for the poor. Chapter 14, verse 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Think about that next time you want to fill in someone else's story for them and tell them that their poverty is only a result of bad decision making and poor work ethic and everything else that you have predetermined insulting them without even hearing their story. We are not those who insult the others. We are generous. We care. We listen. We try to work with them. Chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds that he should give and only suffers want. 
Doesn't that seem to match with Jesus' teaching? Give and it will be given to you. You make yourself a vessel through whom grace will flow into the lives of others. And you're going to, uh, you're going to, your eyes are going to be open to how God is blessing you even more too. To whom much has been given, much is required. And to whom much has been given, God will give all the more. He will continue to use you in that way. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And one who waters will him, and one who waters will himself be watered. I love that proverb. Chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. Chapter 14, verse 21. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. It's one way that we love our neighbor as ourselves. It's not the only way, but it's just one way that we love our neighbor. Chapter 28, verse 22. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Sometimes that poverty will hit its, sometimes our pursuits will uh, get turned back on us even in this life. Chapter 19, verse 17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. How about that principle? Part of how you love God is by loving those around you. Isn't that what the book of 1 John says? How can someone love God whom he hasn't seen if he does not love his brother who he does see? This is part of how you love God. It's part of how you repay God. You pay it forward. You pay His grace forward into the lives of others. Chapter 21, verse 13. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. How about that for your prayer life? How about that for your relationship with God? Sounds very similar to Jesus' teaching that if you, if you want forgiveness from God, that you better be willing to forgive others. If you want God to give to you, you better be willing to give to others. It's the same principle. What you expect from God, you want to pass on to others. Chapter 22, verse 9. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. The eye. Jesus will say in the Sermon on the Mount, the eye is the lamp of the body. He will say later on in one of his, his parables in, in Matthew, I believe it's, it's Matthew chapter 18, when there is a, a parable about, excuse me, I think it's in Matthew chapter 20. You'll have to check me on that later on. It's one about the one who, people receiving different wages for working different amounts of time. And some complain about it because they say, well, we showed up first and we should have received higher wages than the others who only came at the end of the day. And he says what the master says at the end of that is that was your eye envious was your eye evil or bad because I was generous? You did not want me to extend the same generosity to others. Having a good eye scripturally is an eye that sees the needs of those and is generous. That's what it means to have the eye be the lamp of the body. Proverbs 31 verse 20. The woman that we often talk about, this woman of virtue, part of what she's characterized by, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches her hands to the needy. In 28, verse 27, whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will give many a curse. And the last proverb that I give you today of many, because I think that this one expresses the principle. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Chapter 3, Verse 27, I realize you may have had opportunity and really could not meet the needs of someone who is in need. If you have someone who is in need 
and there's an opportunity that is there, and God has blessed you with something to be able to help that person. Let's take this proverb to heart. Let's be generous. Let's look at those who are in need and try to make sure that they can experience the grace of God as we have. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you today that you have been gracious to us. We thank you that everything that we have has come from you. We pray, Father, for wisdom in how we handle money. We pray that you would give us, that you would allow us to have work, to be able to to work hard for the good of others, and to be able to work hard, to be able to take care of ourselves and take care of our families. Father, we pray that whenever other benefits come into our lives, that we will be thankful, grateful to you, grateful to others for those benefits that we have received. Father, we pray that we can be more disciplined in our spending. We pray that we can be more focused on, on where our money should be going, the things that are most important. We pray that we can be attentive to the needs of those who are in a position of poverty, that we can be helpful to them, not only to, to just drop money to them, but to, to listen to them, to listen to their stories, to see what their needs are specifically, and to see how we may be able to help them, not just in the short term, but in the long term. For those of us in here today, Father, who may be in a position of financial debt, we pray for your grace to be upon them. We pray for wisdom for them. We pray for you to guide them through how they can little by little reduce that debt. Father, we pray for those of us who are tempted by debt and by spending to be able to approach those things with wisdom. For all of this, Father, we we pray that you would redeem our use of money just as you redeem everything in Jesus Christ. May it all be to your glory and to the love of you and to the love of our neighbors as ourselves. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, if, if you are here struggling with something in your life, we're going to sing a song of invitation. You can, you can share that with us today. You can ask for prayers of this congregation on your behalf, or you can talk about becoming a part of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to die on our behalf, to be raised from the dead on our behalf so that we can be joined to him, so that our life from this point forward can be lived in him, so that he can redeem, to buy back everything that has fallen, that has been broken in our lives, that it can begin to be restored in him. That journey can begin for you if you believe in him, if you believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, if you are wanting to walk with him, if you're wanting to repent from the life you've been living and you want to pursue that life with him, if you're willing to confess that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, it just means to be willing to say that out loud, what you believe in your heart. And all that comes together if we are baptized into Christ by faith in the working of God. It happens in water. It happens with the immersion into water because the Christian believes that this is the moment when God meets us there and we're joined with Jesus Christ. We are buried with him in baptism. We rise to walk in newness of life. Our sins are forgiven. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are in Jesus. We're joined with him. Doesn't mean that your life is going to be easy from that point forward. 
doesn't mean that being baptized into Jesus is, is going to erase all of your financial debt, erase, fix, give, fix everything else that is a struggle in your life. It just means that the storms that will continue to hit you in your life, you now have a foundation that will give you something solid in your life when everything else is a mess. You'll have a family. You'll have a way forward. You'll have new life. If you want to talk about any of that with us today, please come as we stand and as we sing.